You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning, guys. Focal passage is found in John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. John chapter 15, verses 15 through 18. Uh, if you have your Bibles, love for you to follow along with us. It'll also be on the screens. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can stop by the Connect desk, and we'd love to give you one this morning. John chapter 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. This is God's word. You all can be seated, and any children here can be dismissed to classes. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. There are four. One of them's Matt. He has a nice shirt on today. Scott was another one. He has a, a tie on today. Adam. Here's another one. He has a jacket on today, and I have all those things on today. Look at that. It's rare. It's rare. I know. Um, let's pray, and then we'll look at this, this passage in, in John. God, thanks for your gifts. Thanks that you have gathered your people, um, not just here, but man, all, all over the world today and, and even this morning like you've done so many other days, and we just ask that we could sit under your word today, that, that by your spirit you would open our eyes to see things as they are, that you would let us see ourselves rightly, and you would let us know you rightly. <clears throat> God, that you would, uh, as, as we walk through your word, you would show us uh, a way that allows us to know and trust and treasure the fullness of all that you are above everything else that we have in this life. God, what a gift. Thank you for Jesus, his death, his resurrection, not just today, but every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't have many stories of me pursuing other women besides my wife, because we got together pretty young. But uh, at the risk of my marriage, I'm going to tell you about one today, all right? <laughs> I was in second grade, <laughs> and, and I, was, I was growing in confidence, and I legitimately, this isn't just cliche, like people of my era, but I like wrote a note and it said like, like literally like, will you be my girlfriend? And it had a little box like yes, and a little box no. And I was like, I, nervous and whatever, you know, passed it like by way of a couple people to this girl. Uh, I, I, I passed the note. And the absolute beauty in that scene is is that it doesn't leave room for like a neutral response. (laughs) 
I didn't put like maybe later or like let's talk at recess. It was like right now. Like I have to know. Like yes or no. And, and so by, by the time the, the bell rang at the end of the day, everyone would know because, you know, she probably passed it back through six people and, and all those things. Uh, everyone would know. I would know. She would know if yes or if no. Uh, if, if it was to be, if it was not to be, if we were going to spend the rest of our life together, or if we'd pursue other love interests independently along the way, we would know at the end of the day. And today, we see like a real check yes or no scenario with a whole lot more on the line than that second grade note. On, on that day, a girl held a note with an invitation to join me in a relationship, whatever that looked like, right? Two options, yes and no. And today, each of us holds words with an invitation to a relationship. And what we get to figure out today is if we will deny that relationship or if we will behold that relationship, if we will accept that or if we will reject that. And so here's the scene. And what we're going to do, uh, I think Pastor Scott set it up, but we're just continuing on in John, as we've been doing for months and months and months, and so this is just where this text met us today, and, uh, and so we're going to hop in. I'm going to read it, and then we'll kind of tease it out over the next 500 minutes, if you're okay with that. Here's the scene. It's in John 18, 15 through 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus. So, so Jesus had just been arrested, and, and there was a little scuffle there, and so tensions are high, and there's kind of like a buzz because all of the gospel of John, all of the kind of the last three years of Jesus has been culminating in people trying to arrest him and trying to put stuff on him that wasn't true, trying to kill him, and some trying to behold him and worship him as the Lord. And so it's kind of like a culmination. So Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And whenever John does that, it's kind of cryptic, but he's pretty much talking about himself, but that's for another time, right? Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Just a, about a month ago, Titus and I were in Lexington for a soccer game, and we hung out with a friend of mine in, in Frankfurt. And, and we like hopped in the car late at night, it was nine o'clock or whatever, and, and he was taking us on a tour of the city, and he drove up, and he's like, here's the governor's like mansion or whatever, and like the first governor in years that actually lives there. And then he like, is like driving behind gates and like stuff. And it's like, are we allowed to even be here? Like it's late at night. And like, I'm looking at like the governor watching TV in his window. Like this doesn't quite feel right. But he's like, no, I know the, the guy that uh, cuts the grass and maintains this place. He's, he's a part of our church or whatever. And I'm like, okay, all right. So with that in mind, you, you uh, throw this picture up here. Kind of think of like courtyards and like there's places that you can be and that you can't be and there's kind of guards on duty. And so, so like that's literally the scene. That is, that is the building that they're talking about right here. Go to that next slide. Uh, that, that picture up at the left is essentially what people think that like Jesus is in there somewhere in the crowd. And so it wasn't like a, a quiet situation. There was like a lot on the line and you can't really see it, but the bottom right there, that's a picture of Caiaphas, right? That's an actual photo of him. That's what the internet, that's what the internet said. So anyway, so, so reading on, but Peter stood outside at the door. So, so one disciple was able to get in. Peter's hanging outside. Like, I don't have 
that ticket or whatever. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest, he had some like inside connections. I think he like did the lawn care in the facility. He, he went out and he spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and, and brought Peter in. And so Peter's like, oh yeah, okay, I'm coming in. He's coming into the courtyard or whatever. Then, and then this is it. This is, this is what we're talking about today. The, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of, these, uh, one of this man's disciples, are you? So remember, Jesus had just been arrested. And so there was like a cost to, to what's about to happen. And so she says, you're also not one of this man's disciples, are you? Like she said, yes or no. Like, are you to be or are you not to be? Like, will you follow or will you flee? Like, are you with this guy? And Peter, he says, I am not. Man, that's pretty significant. And then, and then now the servants, officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with them standing and warming themselves. We don't have time to tease all this out, but you imagine quite an awkward scene where Peter knows that like maybe he's looking in and he's like, gosh, I can literally see Jesus in there. And, and he's like, is he the one? Because I thought he was going to establish a kingdom, but this is not looking good. And so like we, we get it. We get why Peter got himself in this situation, but, but then he's just outside like warming his hands and they're like, cold night, eh? And he's like, sure is. Just, just such a raw scene. So, so here's the backstory for some of you who don't know. The Bible is a long story and it's helpful to fill in background. We don't just open it up and, and, and point and just read a section and think, all right, that's it. For, we have to figure out how it plays together. It's one story. So here's the backstory. Jesus had invited these men, 12 specifically, to be his disciples, to follow him. And certainly he invited many others to do that. And, and as they did that, their life changed for real forever. And they were doing things and, 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 and he showed them the, the way and the truth and the life. And what he's been revealing is that he was the way, that Jesus was the truth and that Jesus was the life. He was, he was all of those things. Peter was a fisherman and Jesus walked by and he said, hey, hey, Peter, this is like three uh, plus years before this moment. He says, Peter, follow me. And Peter laid down his net and he followed him, rabbi, teacher, and he gave up his life to, to learn the way and the truth and the life of Jesus. Now, Peter, he's not just some guy. He's what a lot of people call the first among equals of the, of the disciples. What that means is if Jesus was like, I need a volunteer to, Peter didn't even care what Jesus said. He was like right there, like me, 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 every time. And, and one time they were hanging out in a boat. The disciples were and they couldn't find Jesus. And Jesus is walking in the middle of the sea, like walking on the water. And they thought it was a ghost and they like lost their mind. And they're like, wait, that's the Lord. And you know what happened? Peter just jumped out of the boat and he just went after him, walking on the water to get to Jesus until he took his eyes off of him and he began to sink. Jesus was betrayed this night. The guards came to get him. You know, you know who was the one that was, was there to defend Jesus? It was Peter. He cut off a dude's ear and Jesus was like, Peter, relax. And he like mended the ear back on. Jesus, not Peter. So that's what's happening here, right? That, that's the backstory of, of how we got here. And what we find out is, is despite all of those things, despite Peter being all in, 
when the rubber met the road, Peter had the chance to stand by his guy, right? To stand by his man, be bold in faith at a great cost, and he didn't. He denied Jesus when things got tough, just as Jesus said that he would. So here's where this meets us today. We may not, we may not be asked today if you follow Jesus. Like with any, with any cost, not in the heat of drama, not in a courtroom, maybe. Not with, not with in the background, Jesus hanging on a cross for crimes he did not commit. You probably won't be asked in that context today. But we still must answer, and if not today, in time, and if not by a, a servant girl, maybe by a coworker, maybe by a classmate, maybe by a neighbor, maybe by a, a friend or family who cares for you, and they want to know what the status of your relationship is with Jesus. But even if, if never in your life, apart from this 40 minutes for us being here together today, in time, you will surely have to answer that question. And you will have to answer that question to the Lord himself. Like that's the reality that we live in. And, and in that moment, neutrality is not an option. You can't say, can I have some more time? Or I want to write in a third answer. It's, it's are you mine or are you not? All right, that's the reality. And so being a disciple of Jesus comes at a cost, but each must decide to deny him or behold him. And this is just what I want to tease out for us today, kind of three uh, questions that I want to answer just really simply, like what is a disciple of Jesus? We say those words all the time. What is a disciple of Jesus? What is it to deny Jesus? And what is it to behold Jesus? Or to put it another way, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? That's the question. So the first thing is, is this, what is a disciple of Jesus? See, the word disciple is not unique to like Christianity. It's not unique to Jesus We've, we've seen examples of teacher-student dynamic, whether it's like a, a Jedi training program. We see uh, disciples, young Padawans, and, and, and we see uh, historically Socrates and Plato and, and the lineage of, of philosophers, teacher, master, student. We, we even in like modern times, we have trade apprentices where we have the same kind of vernacular and, and, and the same thing. It's essentially this idea of like, hey, you're a disciple of, or, or this person, yeah, they studied at whatever and they're a disciple of such and such about whatever. So the word itself just means, just means learner. It's, it's one who studies, one who studies under. And I, I want to be very clear, you are a disciple. And you might be sitting here saying, like, I am, I am not, right? You are a disciple. All, all of us are. And, and maybe you haven't signed up for, for some Jedi classes, or maybe you haven't signed up to take some classes here at the village. Maybe you've never gone through a membership class at a local church or, or, or anything like that. But you are a disciple. You are a follower. You are conformed to a way, a way of thinking. You embrace a truth as reality, and, and you follow something or someone that you think brings you life. And what that establishes is a worldview, like, like the base core tenets of why you do anything that you do. 
You, you are a disciple. So the question isn't whether or not, but it's who and what are you a disciple of? Are you a disciple of, of an author or of an influencer or of a, of a life coach, of a professor or a politician or, or an athlete or, or whatever? And, and as you try to figure that out and you maybe even search inside of yourself, say, wow, whose voice do I hold up the loudest? Then you're going to ask the question, on what authority do they have to dictate the foundation of my life? Huh. And then you're going to ask this, if I follow them to the end, where are they leading me? See, I want to define disciple of Jesus in, in this way, and this is kind of just me in words. You can uh, define this in, in, in several ways, but a disciple of Jesus is one who is living in light of Christ as the way and the truth and the life. If he is the way, like which way should I go? Like to Christ, he is the way. He is the truth. What, what is true? Like the, the world is loud and there's so many voices. What is true? Christ is true, right? That orients everything else, that anchors me in some way that, that nothing else can. What is life? What is life now abundantly? What is life in the future? So, so a disciple of Jesus is one who's living with those things in mind, one who is, who is living in light of Christ as the way and the truth and the life. And, and what that means is Jesus' invitation, it wasn't check yes or no, it was follow me. And some did, and some do, and some didn't, and some don't. Follow me. And, and you'll know that you're following him because he'll look back and, and you'll, you'll be there. You'll be following, you'll look up and you'll see him. That's, that's how you know. So, so we begin to live a life that, that is, is aiming to be conformed by Jesus, conformed into the image of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus do a couple things. One, they, they acknowledge. We have to acknowledge some truths, some realities. We acknowledge his life his teaching, his authority, that he is from God. That's what he's been telling them in the chapters leading to this point, that, that he is from God and his authority comes from the creator of, of the one and, and the, only, the, the only one who has created all things. That's where his authority comes from. That he is, he is unified with God. He is one with God. We acknowledge his death. We've sang about and prayed about and read about. We acknowledge that he died, not because he had to, Jesus could have done way more than cut some guy's ear off. <laughs> he didn't have to. He, he was never in submission to the, to the Roman or Jewish authorities, apart from the fact that he decided to be. No one could hold him down. He was the Lord. All things are held together by him. He didn't have to do that. So we get to acknowledge that his death was on purpose, and his death was him being perfect, dying in the place of all who are imperfect, of sinners who trust in his name. So, so we acknowledge his, his life and his death and his burial, that he died with our sin. He was our replacement. That's what, that's what the big deal of the cross is, that, that he died in our place. We deserve to die that death. He died it instead. But he didn't stay dead. He busted out. He busted out of the tomb. And he said, what now? And not only, teenagers hear this, not only did he bust out, he folded his clothes. 
another day. Literally, where's he at? I don't know, but his robe's folded up. It smells like fabric softener. We have to acknowledge that, that he rose from the dead. He was dead, 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 buried, and he rose from the dead. Today we, we sing the song of victory at this point of his saving work. And, and it's like an arm wrestle fake out, you know, like everyone's done that. Like it's the coolest move that you can do in arm wrestling. But like he, he, he didn't just like wait. And here's the thing, all the disciples were like waiting like, okay, he's going to, all right, he's not going to die. He's about to, and he didn't, he died. But then he showed up two and a half days later and he said, hey, I want a rematch. Right? And it wasn't even close. He did that to destroy his enemy. And he reigns right now at the right hand of the Father. And he will return. So what we have to acknowledge as a disciple of Jesus, we have to acknowledge his purpose and his promises in his life and in his life to come. The second thing that we have to do is, as disciples of Jesus, we get to live in light of those truths. Right? It's more than just knowledge. It's, it's a way of life. It's truth that extends far beyond a birth in a manger and far beyond his, his future return. A follower or a, a learner, a disciple of Jesus exists and breathes and meditates and reflects and repents, turns from the, the ways that we go down that are not following him and, and redirects us and, and believes and trusts. We're all in on Jesus. Maybe you've heard it this way or maybe not. We are a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on mission. That's the way that we say it around here. This shapes everything about who we are as disciples that are part of this church community. We are a gospel-formed, mission-sent church community. And, and we make, no, no, we are, we are being made into disciples. And then, then our work is to make others, to mature and to multiply disciples. That's, that's the work that we get to do. And we're committed to do that individually. That means that everyone that's, that's a part of this church family or part of whatever church family, you get to do that on your own. You get to be a disciple and you get to make and mature and multiply other disciples. But also we get to do it corporately together as, as, as a church community, right? At such a time as this, at such a place as this. He said, follow me, right? And, and every disciple after Jesus said, follow me as I follow him. And, and the next disciple, the apostles, they, they gave us the word and they showed us, hey, follow me as I follow him. And that's been happening for 2,000 plus years. That's why you're in this basement this morning. Because somebody said, hey, follow me as I follow him. So, so here's the question. Does Jesus being sent, having come and, and lived and, and invited and, and said, follow me, he, he, he handed out the note? The fact that he died, that he was buried, that he rose, that he reigns, that, it, that he will return, does that change your life? I know many of you in this room would acknowledge, yeah. Jesus, okay. Are you a disciple of Jesus? I go to church. Well, that wasn't the question. <laughs> that was not the question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Oh, yeah, I want to raise my kids in church. Also not the question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Man, my grandma, she's been taking me to church. Not, that wasn't the question. 
That's really great. Good for grandma. Are you a disciple of Jesus? And if so, then what does his life and his death and his resurrection and his reigning and his return have to do with anything about the way that you live your life? And, and I hope what that does is it frees you to either say, you know what? Turns out I'm not a disciple of Jesus. Gosh, it's Easter Sunday, and I'm about to say this. Then, then so be it. But it might get you to look and say, you know what? Maybe I've not been, but I sure want to be. Second point. We're running a little behind. What is it to deny Jesus? Like, like, aren't you one of his disciples? I'm not. That's dramatic. That's dramatic. I, I am not. But the question is certainly wider. It's, it's preserved by John for us to reflect in the same way. Like to live apart from an association with him. That's what it means to deny Jesus. To live apart from an association. Aren't you associated with him? No. Didn't you go to the school of hard knocks in the life of Jesus? No. This must have been somebody else. No. My name's Simon. You're looking for Peter, different guy. Like, in this parking lot, this, this parking lot, wherever you park today, uh, there are magnets on cars and stickers and stuff. And it's really cool. We pick up the kids from school, and, and like I see like a little village church magnet, and I'm like, yes, you know? And I'm like, man, I hope they didn't cut someone off in the parking lot on the way to get in here. <laughs> Super cool. Like, we drive down uh, High Street. Cars all over. We saw um, just this week, we were driving to a soccer game, and there was somebody else that had, like, our little club. You know, we have a FOSC, a Fairfield Optimist Soccer Club. And we have a Ohio United little, little soccer thing. And, and you see another car, and you're like, hey, hey, what up? You know? Well, I, don't, I don't know you, but hey, like, we have, we have an association there's an affiliation there. What, what this is, is, is not having the association with Jesus. Like you're not wearing his jersey, you're not pointing to him, you don't have his magnet on your car, and look, this is not about bumper stickers, it's about hearts, right? It's, it's cutting off an association with him. Or, it's saying, am I a disciple of Jesus? You, you didn't see my bumper sticker? That, that wasn't the question. Because even in the Old Testament, there's this idea of taking the Lord's name in vain. And that is to wear his jersey and to live like he doesn't live. Right? So what is it to deny Jesus? It's to, to live apart from an association with him. It's to live apart from an identity in him. And uh, just uh, a couple weeks ago, we preached through John. And what we were seeing is that our identity is, is that we are his. That's our primary thing. And so, so who are you? I, I am his, first and foremost. That's the top of the list. I'm a, a son, I'm a dad, I, I'm a pastor, you know, I, I'm a whatever I do for work, I'm a student, I'm a whatever, whatever you are, I, I am his. And everything else flows from that. Everything else is conformed by that. To deny Jesus is to deny that association. 
And so you might be saying, how can this be? Peter of all people, the one who would walk on the ocean to get to Jesus, the one who heard his teaching, the one who saw his miracles, the one who followed him, the one who gave up his, his, his life and, and, and he, he laid down his nets. You know, he hung up his cleats to follow Jesus. How could he deny him? Why would he do that? Why do we do that? Well, well, below the surface, there's stuff going on that we're not privy to. There's spiritual realities that are happening outside of what our eyes can see. So, so below the surface, like a, a technical answer, I would say we, we deny because our eyes have not been opened. John's told us that many, many times. But where my words and these words meet us today, we deny because of disbelief. And maybe we make excuses, and maybe we embrace bits and pieces, but we're not ready. Like we want an a la carte version of Jesus. We want to say, like, I'll have this with a dash of this, and can I get a, I know it's a special order. And what Jesus says is, like, I'm the chef, and this is me, and, and, and you must take me, all of me. You don't get to pick and choose. This is me. And so, so maybe we want bits and pieces or, 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 or whatever, but, but it's essentially a failure to go all in on Jesus. What's denial look like for you? Kind of three real quick ways that this might show up. Calloused rejection. I try to make these as complicated as possible. Calloused rejection. So maybe you're in this room and you say, nope, not following Jesus. I'm just here for dinner with mom after that. And I'd say, man, thanks so much for hanging out with us, for real, right? Thanks for being honest about that. Say, Jesus can handle your honesty, and so can we. That's what I would say. Calloused rejection. Hey, do you want to follow Jesus? I do not. And maybe there's church hurt in there. Maybe you have some other stuff going on. Maybe you're unconvinced. You're just not buying it. That's fair. You get to acknowledge that, all right? Maybe there's some fearful passivism, like, like you were ashamed of him. It's kind of what we see with Peter, right? Like, like he's in, and maybe you have this shy belief that, that takes a, a backseat to denial when it's convenient. And so if someone in a room that you're uncomfortable in, a classroom or whatever, like ask you a question, hey, who follows Jesus? You're like, No, I scratched my head. Like, was you? No, it was, I, like, that's what that would look like. And look, I get it. Been there, done that. Like all of us have. Is it, does it cost me too much to say yes in this moment? I don't know. Or maybe it's intermittent belief or intermittent denial. Like we never use that word except for one thing windshield wipers. Like, that's the only time anybody uses the word intermittent. No one uses it. But you have, like, high, and then you have tick, 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 and it's like, oh, a little bit, right? And, and side note, my car, I joke around, I say, they must have, like, test-driven it, like, in San Diego, because it just does not go fast enough. It's like, when the rain's coming down, it's like doing this. It's like, no, I can't see. I need, I need more from you, right? But here's another thing about me and windshield wipers. Like when it gets slow enough to where you need the intermittent, I'm not playing that game. I just turn it off. And when I can't see, or when Kim like <laughs> literally like yells at me like, use your wipers. I'm like, I will. 
Like I'm in control of the situation. Push it down, it goes. I wait, right? And some of your faith is like me in the rain. Like you're all in. Yes, I'll hold it down and let it go a couple times. Let go. Peter, all in. Oh, walk on water, done. Jesus, they're not getting you. Attack the, the Roman soldier. Servant girl, are you with him? No. Intermittent. All in, all out. And you can look in the pattern of your life and you can say, gosh, man, in college, I was all out. After college, I was all in. Now I'm just numb and I don't even know what to do with my life. Maybe I've been fooling myself. We get to acknowledge these things. Surely there are other ways, but, but the, the reflection piece is what has denial looked like for you and what's the lie that your heart is clinging to that causes you on repeat, whatever it looks like, maybe in a way that no one else would ever imagine about you to deny Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus, it comes at a cost, but each must decide to deny him or behold him. The reality is, Saying no to Jesus will cost you so much more. Not just in the future, but, but today and forever. It will cost you so much more. You will miss out on the fullness of life here and now. You, you will miss out on eternal life with the Lord forever. In fact, when Jesus, just, just a few pages for us from this place, when he cries, it is finished, and there's a lot in that, one of the things that he's, that he's saying is finished is, is striving. You no longer have to strive to please the Lord. You no longer have to strive to please anybody. Your life has sure purpose, value. It reshapes your interactions with, with everyone else. It reshapes all of your interactions with success. What do I do when I'm, when I, when I'm successful? It reshapes your inter interactions with failure. Who am I when I fail? It reshapes uh, the good times in life and the bad times in life. It, it makes the celebrations of your life so much fuller. And it makes the, the despair of the difficulty of your life actually have a bottom. To deny Jesus is to deny our God-given value and purpose and identity that is sure and unshakable. That's what we gain when we follow him. The last thing is this, what is it to behold Jesus? There's no shortage of people who are probably dead but who may not be, right? Uh, Elvis is probably the most famous. Um, John Lennon, and we could get into some conspiratorial theories, uh, Princess Diana, uh, Andy Kaufman, Michael Jackson, Hitler faked his death, and along with the Russian collusion, right? And some of you are like, hey, that's real, right? That's fine, right? <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, like, this is happens, right? Uh, Marilyn Monroe, Tupac, obviously he's in Somalia now, that's what I hear. You can look that up, I don't know. <laughs> 
no matter what people think of Jesus, and like I ask you, what do you think of Jesus? Like, he's a good dude, like a solid, a good carpenter. You know, you know he had calluses on his hands. Like, what, he was a man's man. Whatever it was, whatever it is that people think of Jesus. He was a radical. He was a rebel. He was sticking it to the man. He said, pay your taxes, so I don't know. But like, whatever. Whatever you think about Jesus, he was just pure fiction and it's fabricated, which is tough even in like secular society to, to land there to be honest, but whatever, whatever people think about Jesus, this is what I know. Most of them, and maybe even most of them in this room, they live as if he's dead. And today, I, I want you to know that, that he was dead, like dead, dead. And yet he lives. Look, if that's true, it changes everything about everything. Paul, uh, a guy who, who met Jesus after he was crucified and buried and, and, and risen, he met him in a weird way. And Jesus said, hey, you should stop killing my people. And Paul's like, I'm good. Because Paul was not a good dude. He was like rounding Christians up and he was sending them to, uh, to the gallows, right? And Jesus said, hey, stop doing that. And he blinded Paul for three days. And, and as the scales came off, Paul became someone who, who believed. And, and he beheld Jesus in a way that actually uh, Paul's life was transformed. And, and he began to preach the gospel as like the, the, the primary outworking of his life. And he began to plant churches all over the ancient Near East. And and, and he began to write letters to those churches. And that's the majority of the New Testament is Paul writing letters to local churches, showing us what it looks like to live in light of, of, a, of a risen Savior whom we get to behold. He says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He's saying it's not worth anything. It's a waste. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So he's saying he, he raised, Jesus raised, and the people that follow him will be raised up in the last day. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who are dead, hopeless. Since we have no hope. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is why he said, you are one pathetic loser. If Christ is not raised, how pathetic am I? How pathetic is, is all this? How pathetic are you? To be preaching and singing and praying to and following, inviting others to follow and telling others about beholding and building the foundation of our life on, on this Jesus. If Jesus is just worm food like, like every other who's ever lived and died, how pathetic are we? That's what Paul says. But he doesn't stop. He keeps writing. You know what he writes next? 
He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ first, then at his coming those who belong to him. Paul is inviting us to life, life which overcomes sin and hell in the grave as the foundation of our life. And I don't know what your life has been like to this point. I don't know what knowledge you have or what your relationship with Jesus is like. I don't know where your denial meets you today other than the fact that we have all denied Jesus. I don't know where your belief or your beholding of the living God finds you today but here's what I do know. Peter here denies Jesus, but, but even his blatant denial, it isn't the end for him. In your weak faith or your denial of Jesus, it's not the end for you. No matter what your life has been like to get you to this point here. And I just want to read this. We'll preach this in, in a month or so. But, but in the end of, just a couple chapters later in John, Jesus had, had died rose again, come back, hung out with the disciples, lots of cool scenes in there. And, and, and so the, the disciples are hanging out and Jesus is somewhere else. And, and Peter, oh, this is just like him. He says, I'm going fishing, right? I'm going fishing, he said to them. And the other disciples were like, hey, we're coming with you. They went out and they got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. When daybreak came, so they fished all night, they come back into the shore. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. You'd imagine, hey, friends. That's what he says. Oh, hey, hey, friend, hey friends. Uh, friends, Jesus called to them. This is great. He said, hey, how's the fishing? Did you catch anything? He didn't say that. Listen to what he says. You didn't catch anything, did you? Like, gosh, that's, that was not nice, right? <laughs> you don't have any fish, do you? No. Bum night, whatever, right? Fishermen talk. They answered, uh, and, he, and he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And you know they're like, dude, you're no pro. Like, who is this guy? Like, literally, this is our life. Like, we know how to, we already did. Just do it, all right? Okay. They cast the, note, the, the net on the other side of the boat. He said, you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul all the fish in because the, the number was so large. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John. He said to Peter, it is the Lord. Like, you imagine John and Peter like, dude, you know, gosh, he got us again. <laughs> like, what a joker. And you know what Peter does? Gosh. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him like he had a flannel sitting on the, on the, the seat. And he was like, all right. He had taken it off. He ties it around him. And he plunged into the sea. Like, and I imagine pure joy. <laughs> he, ju he jumps in the water. Man, hey, let's tie off. No tying off. Forget about the boat. He just says, nothing can stop me from being with the Lord. And they have a fish fry. And it's like a real sweet scene on the beach there. Jesus has a chat and he restores Peter back into the family, into the mission. And 
and, and, and Peter goes on to build the church, living as a disciple, no longer denying, but beholding Christ, the, the risen Savior who was and is and who is to come. And, and, and every one of these disciples, Peter included, according to church history, whether they denied him or not, died following him, most of them as martyrs. Peter was going to be crucified, and he said, I, I'm not worthy. This is according to church history, not in the scriptures. I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Because he lives, we can live with bold faith. That's what we get to do. There, there's a lot in all of that. And, and there's a lot that that doesn't mean. You, you might hear me say, living with bold faith means that I have to be really awkward and stuffy and naive about the things of the world. No. You don't get to do that. You get to have an open mind. You get to have fun. You get to be you. you get to, like if you, were a, if you told good jokes... Before you became a Christian, like, you should tell better jokes after you're a Christian. You don't have to not tell jokes, right? He just makes you the God-oriented version of you. Created in his image to glorify him. Because he lives, we can live with bold faith. So what does it mean to behold Jesus? I'll give you just, just three real quick things. It means that Jesus is the number one, the prize. He is the greatest joy in your life. And it's unshakable. It means that, that his glory becomes our goal. Like, they use the word glory a lot in the Bible. And I always just think of it as, as light. It, it means that, that everything that we do, our goal in, in the highs and lows and in suffering and success is to point back to him. Our community group, we had a, a ton of laughs last month, and we're just talking about, like, what does it look like to, to glorify? And we're like, you know, hey, really good on that report. We're like, you know, like, nah, this is nothing but, like, you know, just, just pointing up to Jesus and, like, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's really awkward, but it's fun for our community group when we're like, hey, I did a thing, and they're like, oh, no, it's all, like, it's all him, right? Like everything in our life just gets to point back to him. And here's the thing. We're going to make much of Jesus in all things. And the last thing is, is sin in our life, not in the life of others maybe, is sought after and slayed. It means that, that you're following him. And when you find yourself alone in a field where, he, where you can't hear his voice and you don't see any other sheep, you get to say, how did I get here and how do I get back? It means because Christ was crucified, here's what it means. It means your sin has no power in you. It means you can lay it down. Whatever it is. So I know what you're all thinking as we kind of close out the bank and come on up. Like, did she say yes? That's what you want to know. I get it. <laughs> and this is what I would tell you. Like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> but what's infinitely more important is, is for us to get this, that, that it isn't your faithfulness but it's Christ's faithfulness that secures your relationship with him. It was, this was never about you. It was always about him. That's what, we, that's what we get to do. We get to live in light of the one who's faithful to us, right? Being a disciple of Jesus comes at a cost, and each of us must decide to deny him or behold him. Man, I want to encourage us to do that today as we sing with the band we're going to respond uh, a lot of ways. You can sit right where you are, 
right? Just listen, take it in, pray, whatever. You can stand up and sing. There's a prayer bench over there. If you would like to pray by yourself alone, you can do that. My wife and I will be back down this aisle. If you would like to chat with us or pray with us, we would love to pray with you. Over by that red tree, there will be a few that would love to pray with you. It doesn't have to be about anything. It could be trusting Jesus for the first time. It could be some struggle that you have. We would love to bear with one another's burdens by hearing your prayer and praying with you. And if you are in Christ, we get to, we get to celebrate and, and behold his death for us. Because he, he's no longer dead, we get to acknowledge the work that he did on the cross, and we get to acknowledge that through bread and, and through the drink, through juice. And we do that as a remembrance of his body that was broken for us, his blood that was spilled for us. And, and we're supposed to do that as we reflect and, and repent, turn from sin and respond. There are some questions on the, the screen that will help us do that. If you are not in Christ, you're not following him, this is not for you, right? But if you are, no matter if you're part of another church or not, then this is for you. We would love to invite you to the table to share this meal with Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. What a gift. Thank you for your word, for, for song, that we can pray to you directly. And thank you that although we may deny you a thousand times, God, you're faithful to your own. And, and your faith is enough to overcome our doubt, to overcome our denial, to overcome our faithlessness. What a gift. In Jesus' name, amen.